Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Vanguard. All I ask is that you do everything I tell you to do and we'll get along. Well, the golden rules of relationship are a little different than that, right? And today we're going to talk about what Jesus said in the first century to his disciples when they were seated around tables, when they were discussing real relationships, what does it look like, how do we treat each other. And the reality is all of us, if we're honest, we tend to think about how others treat us instead of thinking about how we're to treat others. All of us fall into this trap. All of us have a tendency to think about our lives and think, here are the things that people have done to me over the years. As I read in Proverbs this morning, Proverbs chapter 20, as I read through the Proverbs this month, the Lord said, don't worry about the evil that has been done to you. Let God take care of that. Let God take care of that. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? It's easier to say, I'll let God take care of that. It's another to put it into practice and actually live that out. Well, today I want to invite you to take your program, your Bible, or your internet device. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, chapter 9, and chapter 18. And Jesus is going to give us three primary scenarios of relationships And he's going to talk to us about how to engage one another. Now, you know as well as I do that the golden rule in this world is do it to them. Somebody say it. Before they do it to you. And the other golden rule sometimes is he who has the gold makes a rule. But that's not Jesus' golden rule. Those are not Jesus' words. Those are words that that our world tends to abide by. I want to welcome our uh, Facebook family this morning, our 16 families that are watching online. I want to say good morning to Brother Jerry, uh, my friend Brother Jerry Tolley, who's a prayer intercessor. He and I got to spend a few hours together. Would encourage you to be praying for Brother Jerry uh, and some of the physical challenges of his life. Jerry, we're so glad that you're a part of the service today. Look at Matthew chapter seven, verse 12. Jesus says this, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, you should do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So how does God want us to treat people? Number one, treat people the way you want to be treated. When you're engaging someone, think about, would I want to be treated this way? Would I want to be treated this way? The way that I'm getting ready to treat this person, would I want to be treated this way? And if not, then modify, clarify exactly how to... Now, he's going to give three examples of this. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Probably the most misused verse in the entire Bible. Judge not that you be not judged. 
The interpretation of this verse traditionally has been, don't you judge me and I won't judge you. Uh, but it's interesting to me that people who come at you who don't like to be judged, they tend to be very judgmental towards you. And if you draw attention to something publicly, they rebuke you for judging something publicly while they judge you publicly. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 5 makes it clear that if you're, and we'll talk about this quite a bit today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are saying to the body of Christ, I want to be, you ready? Held accountable by you. I want you to speak into my life. Now, I want you to go about it a certain way, but here's the reality, and we'll see this in the passages today. You can't be a Christian and be unaccountable. And what we're seeing in our society today uh, from senior pastors, whatever, whatever particular category you want to pick is we live in an isolated world where we don't want to be judged by, by anyone for anything. And so we use this verse to say, you don't judge me, I won't judge you. But look at verse two, because we have to understand context. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. I want to stop there just a second. Principle number two, how are we to treat others? Judge others the way you want to be judged by God. Judge others the way you want to be judged by God. Now, let me give you a sub-conversation here for a second. A lot of us say, you don't judge me and I won't judge you. In essence, what we're saying, Aaron, is if you don't bring up my sin, I won't bring up yours. That's not what the passage is talking about. Because the reality is God is going to talk to you about your real life. Do you understand that? God doesn't bring you into real relationship with Jesus and go, well, we don't need to talk about your real life because you love Jesus now and you can live any way you want to. No, that's not what it means to be a Christian. When I come into real relationship with Jesus Christ, what I am saying is I am entering into covenant with Christ and his people to be held accountable to become the person that God has created me to be. You say, well, what if I don't agree with them? That's why we have verses in the Bible like this. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one husband, one wife sharpens each other, right? So we're in relationship with each other, and we are talking about the real things about our lives. We don't come to church so that we can get away from our real lives. We come to church so we can share our real lives. Our mission as a church is to love people into a real relationship with Jesus Christ. We say we're people of grace, but we don't know if we're people of grace if we can never bring up our sin. See, when you bring up sin, that's when you can say God has given grace. Now, there's a verse in the Bible that says, love covers a multitude of sin. Second most misquoted verse in the Bible. 
When it says love covers a multitude of sin, it's not meaning love hides sin. You can't cover something that you're hiding. You can't let go of something. You can't forgive something that you're pretending doesn't exist. The Bible says that we have to be willing to expose the deeds of the flesh. And this is what makes relationships so difficult, so hard. We're not supposed to be judgmental. And I think that's what this passage is talking about. Don't be the kind of person that gives someone no hope to change. Judgment with no hope of change is not somewhere you want God to take you. But it's judgment with grace applied saying you can become the person that God has created you to be. And this is what parenting is about. Parenting is not about, sweetie, you just do whatever you want. God loves you. Don't worry about it. No, no one, no one lives that way. You know what's interesting to me in sports today? When a head coach violates something, they fire him. When a senior pastor violates something, we promote him. We applaud him. What is wrong with us? Why is it that the world understands the importance of accountability more than even the local church does? For with the judgment you pronounce, it'll be judged. With the measure you use, it'll be measured back. So the difficulty is, if you're going to belly up to the table publicly about someone else's sin, then you have to be willing to receive the same kind of judgment. Does that make sense? And you have to be willing to be scrutinized the same way that you believe God is asking you to scrutinize. Look at verse 3. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye or your sister's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So how do we treat others? Number three, remove your log of sin before you help others with their speck of sin. Remove your log of sin before you help others with their speck of sin. And so you have to ask yourself the question, as I enter into this conversation, have I scrutinized myself? Have I said to myself, self, you have sin in your life that needs to be dealt with, and so you need to shine the light on yourself first. If verse 1 meant don't address the sin in anybody else's life, why do you think Jesus would give instructions on how to deal with sin in somebody else? See, God's not schizophrenic. And God wants us, first of all, to judge ourselves before we engage in conversations with our children, with our spouses, with our friends, with our loved ones, with those we attend church with. Before we go there, we need to make sure we've gone here and said to the Lord, Lord, speak to me, show me, reveal to me what it is you want to say to me. Now, Jesus takes an interesting approach in verse 6. I do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. 
what in the world is going on here? Well, let's read Proverbs 9, 7, and then we'll come back to verse 6. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a, a, a scoffer or he will hate you. Now, what does that mean? I want to stop there just a second. Don't tell somebody the truth about their life if they don't want to hear it. Otherwise, you're going to incur a, an attack on your life. Reprove a wise man and he'll love you for it. So when it says, do not give dogs what is holy, let's stop there just a second. What in this passage is holy? Here's what's holy. What's holy is when I look at my life and I say, here is the sin of my life. I recognize the failure of my life. And then when you engage in relationship in a conversation about the sin of another person and you say to them, this is where, and I know you've experienced this, this is where I failed in relationship and then you try to talk to them about how they failed in relationship and they only want to talk to you about how you failed, right? And what Jesus is saying is, at a certain point, there are people in your life where you have to recognize that you acknowledge the failure on your part, but don't expect them to ever acknowledge the failure on their part. If you engage them in conversation and they're not willing to hear it anyway, what they're going to do is they're going to take your honest confession, your holy confession, and they're going to use it against you. And so he says, you've got to be very careful. So principle number four, how do you treat people if they ain't asking, you ain't saying. At a certain point, if you recognize that a person is a scoffer, and by definition, a scoffer is someone who refuses to hear anything they've done wrong. They only want to tell you everything you've done wrong. That is, by definition, a scoffer. Now look at scenario number two. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as Jesus inclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners, they came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, and the Pharisees saw this. They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So how do we treat people the way we want to be treated? Number five, we see people as God sees them. We see people as God sees them. Do you know how God sees you? Anybody want to tell me? As sick. That's how God sees us. And that's why he sent Jesus. Do you see yourself as sick apart from Christ? Because that's the only hope. And see, the religious saw themselves as 
Jesus was a helpful idea, but they could take it from there. And see, God wants us to look, first of all, at our lives and say, we are utterly sick apart from him. But with him, we have hope. And when we look at other people's lives, now we don't say they're sickening to us. That's a different conversation. That's being judgmental. But when you look at your life and when you look at other people's lives, the reality is, do you recognize that Jesus is the great physician? And if they don't let Jesus heal them, there is no hope for them. There is no hope for them. And see, the reality is, because we want to get along with people, the reality is, especially in our families, we tend to overlook sin and go, well, you're a pretty good person. And, and matter of fact, you're better than, than this guy and you're better than that pastor because look what he, you know, and we do all of this better than stuff. That's not what God's looking for. God is looking for followers that recognize that apart from him, they're sick. And with them and with him, they can experience healing and hope and peace and joy and self-control. So when you look at your life, when I look at my life, where do I recognize that I'm sick? Or do I look at my life through the eyes of the religious and say, look at the sick? Which is it? And the reality is we all battle this from time to time. God sees us from a compassionate point of view. He sees our need. He sees our brokenness. And so the question is, when you look at other people's lives, do you see, do you feel, do you see them as Christ sees them and do you feel what Christ feels for them? And then do you project that? Do you communicate that? Look at Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or your sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Now i got to stop there just a second. What? Wait a minute. If we're going to interpret Matthew 7, 1, then that you're not supposed to ever judge anyone. I mean, God's not schizophrenic. And by the way, he wrote the whole Bible. So how do you reconcile Matthew 7, 1 with Matthew 18, 15? If, some, if your brother or sister sins against you, you need to go tell them. You go, but I don't want to because I don't like to have conflict because I'm not an eight on the Enneagram because I'm... What excuse do you use in your life to avoid telling people that you have fault with them? And do you silently judge them while publicly pretending it's all okay? And do you believe that's helping you or them? Now, I understand that some of us like to have conflict and some of us don't. Some of us need to dial it back and some of us need to dial it up. And more than likely in your marriage, and this is where the rubber meets the road, and in your family, there's probably people that want to engage and there's probably people that don't want to engage. There's probably people that are not sure and maybe there's people that are too sure. And so that probably covers all of us in some capacity. But what the Bible says is when someone sins against you, 
You're to go and tell them. Now, here's the context. It doesn't say when someone sins against you, go tell everybody but them. It doesn't say when someone sins against you that you can just share it with everybody. The Bible says that when someone has offended you, when someone has sinned against you, you are to go to them and you are to privately, one-on-one, say to them, you have sinned against me. You've sinned against me. I find fault with you. I find uh, that there is something between, however you want to say it, that there is something between you and I. Now, look what it says. If they listen to you, you've gained a brother. So how do we treat people? Number six, always start by confronting people privately. Always start by confronting people privately. You say, well, what is the definition of private? Here it is. You ready? One-on-one. One-on-one. So think about the relationships of your life. Who in your life are you having conflict with and have you initially started just one-on-one? Have you tried to go to that individual, to that entity, to that organization, and have you attempted to say to that individual one-on-one, you have offended me? Here is how you have offended me. Here is how you abused me. Okay? And share your perspective with that individual. Now, look at verse 18, 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three. So how do we treat others? Number, number seven, always follow up confrontation with accountability. Always follow up confrontation with accountability. If they refuse privately and you cannot resolve it, then you have to expand your circle. Now, every one of us are not going to like this at some point. Every one of us at some point want to say, that's none of your business. That's none of your business. That's none of your business. But here's what the Bible teaches. If you cannot resolve between you and the individual, God expects for it to also become somebody else's business. You go, whoa. This is what healthy conflict looks like. Can we resolve this? No. Then let's bring more people in. And if someone says to you, well, I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe you would bring somebody else in. I can't believe, can't believe, can't believe. Listen, you cannot live like that. I cannot tell you how many articles I've read over the last five years of pastors who basically offended a female. And the female tried to resolve that issue and it could not be resolved. And therefore, they had to go and involve more people in the process. 
And when they invite more people in the process, then those concentric circles around that senior pastor had to make a choice. See, in 25 years of Vanguard's existence, if anyone has not been able to resolve an issue with me, they have the ability to go to our elder board and voice their disagreement. And that elder board has a responsibility, and I'm a little different because I'm the senior pastor. Otherwise, probably someone would bring someone other than the elder board if it's someone in the church. But they have the authority. And over the years, over the years, there's been people that have been offended at me. And they've brought things, unfortunately, to the public before they deal with it privately. Okay, and sometimes we skip pieces in the process, right? We all do this in our marriages. We skip pieces in the process. But the, po the proper process is if you have, and I want to give you reassurance here. If you have ever approached me as your senior pastor and we have conflict with each other that we can't resolve, you have 100% authority to go to the Vanguard Elder Board and to communicate that and say, I need help from others to resolve this. It's not resolved. It's not resolved. See, right now in the news, the Hillsong pastor, Brian Houston, in 2013, sent an inappropriate text to a woman who then brought that to the church. They wouldn't do anything about it, so she quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Continue to walk through the concentric circles or what's necessary to resolve conflict. Don't quit. Now, I realize that in teaching on this, I opened myself up for more attack. I mean, I understand that. And for you to live this passage, you're opening yourself up for more attack. But if we're going to healthily resolve conflict, we have to follow the private process if that doesn't work, then we have to involve two or three witnesses. And then look at verse 17. If you can't resolve it one-on-one, one-on-a-few, -on -one, one -on if they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Over the years, there have been people that have brought accusation against me. And it doesn't matter what the accusation is, it will always go to the elder board if it has to do with me as the senior pastor of Vanguard. And it is the responsibility of the elder board to lead me through that process. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we meet one-on-one. -on -one. If that doesn't resolve it, we bring, we say, okay, you pick someone, you pick someone. And if, and if the other party says, I'll only resolve this with you. You can't bring anybody else. They're not following biblical process. Does that make sense? People who want to attack you have ought against you and keep everybody else out of the circle. That's not of God. That's not of God. You have to let go of your pride you have to let go of your arrogance. You have to let go of your insecurities. 
And you have to accept that if two individuals cannot resolve something, whoever it is, whether it's a husband, wife, a daughter and a mother, a father and a son, a neighbor, whatever the case may be, you need to bring somebody else into that equation. And you need to say to that individual, are you willing to tell me what I don't want to hear? Are you willing to tell me what I don't want to hear? Okay. And that should be true for both parties involved at that step. But if you cannot resolve it, then what it says is you're to take it to the church. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean on Sunday morning, you know, Lynn, we get an open mic and you come up and go, hey, let me just tell you everything I don't like about all the people at this church. You know, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about going to the proper channels that are responsible to hold people accountable. And so, for example, over the years, we've had to deal with very difficult situations. Uh, and I'll just pick one example. Over the years, we've had to deal with husbands and wives and maybe some, some misuse of trust and misuse of intimacy. And we've had to engage at a very heart level situations. And we've had to say from time to time, what you are doing is not okay. It's not okay. Now, most people don't go to church to find a church that will say to them, how you're living is not okay. All right? Listen to me. This is why the church exists for believers. We exist to evangelize the lost and to disciple the saved. And you can't disciple the saved if you can't address their sin. And so as a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to say, this is painful. I don't want to hear it, but I have to be able to hear things so that I can grow in my real relationship with God and my real relationship with others. So number eight, always treat people who refuse to take responsibility for their actions as unbelievers. That doesn't mean to mistreat them. I'll explain. Always treat people who refuse to take responsibility for their actions as unbelievers. What that means is, if someone is not willing to be held accountable, then you have to perceive them as not a Christian. And you have to treat them accordingly. And you have to share the gospel with them. And you have to love them. Now listen. We would never forbid someone from coming to church unless there was some super, super extreme situation, okay, which would be very rare. But as you come to church, if someone is not willing to repent of sin, they cannot be seen as a leader. They cannot be seen as an influencer. They cannot be seen as someone that is put in a position of influencing other people's lives. Now, I watched a pastor in Chattanooga, Tennessee last month get up and share this with his church. Here's what he said. What you've read in the news is true. I have been having an affair with the worship pastor as a woman. Uh, my wife and I are getting a divorce, and I want to make you a promise today that I will not engage in relationship with the worship pastor until she's officially divorced from her husband. And the, and the church went... And then he delivered the message for the day. 
Wow. That's in the Bible Belt, by the way, where I'm from. That's in the Bible Belt. And see, we live in a society today where it says, well, hey, you do wrong and I do wrong. There's no doubt about that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I don't stand on this stage because I'm perfect. But the Bible does say that to watch your leaders, Hebrews, and emulate their faith. Okay? And if someone has fallen morally, they need time to be restored. They need time to heal. There's a reason why they got there, and there's going to be reasons why they get away from there. And it's really important that we understand uh, in Proverbs chapter 20, the last verse says that, that a blow to your soul will not kill you. It will actually remove you from the evil that is predominating and controlling your life. Now look at Matthew 23, 1. Because a lot of times people ask the question, and, and the, the elders of Vanguard have given me the authority to begin to press into other churches for us to create a coalition of forming a, an alliance that says, we as churches will not try to silence people who have been abused by the church. We will not use legal or financial means to get people to shut up. But we will actually step out and say, we want to create churches that walk in authenticity and in full disclosure so that people can experience the healing that God has for them in the context of church so that their trust can be restored. Because as God says in Peter, if there is no holiness, there is no effectiveness of the gospel. See, people come to Christ because there's light that they don't have in their life. And they see that we walk differently. And so I get asked this question quite a bit. Where in the Bible do spiritual leaders publicly confront spiritual leaders? Look at Matthew chapter 23. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. Did you catch that? Let's read that again so you can see the context. Jesus said to the what? The crowds, the public, and to his disciples. And here's what he said to the public. The scribes and the Pharisees sat on Moses' seat. And so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they don't practice it. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their uh, phylact someone say it, phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue. Woe to you. The word woe means damn. Damn to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, damn to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. 
Five years ago, the Lord gave me a prophetic vision. I was in Cleveland, Ohio, and he gave me a, a prophetic vision of two particular people, and that is continuing to play out. But what he also said to me was, there will be a network of pastors fall. And over the past five years, I have had a running uh, social media post that has over 350 pastors who have had to be removed from the ministry because they abused and many of their elder boards refused to deal with their abuse. And Brian Houston of Hillsong being another example of that. And what's interesting is we paint these stories, pardon my frankness, we paint these stories, well, he was taking Ambien and he was drunk. I mean, what's a man to do? He's going to end up in a strange woman's bedroom. Okay. How you got there does not justify you being there. Are you ready for this? How you got to where you are, it's everybody else's fault except yours. We live in a society where it's like these people didn't deserve to die because they thought they were taking cocaine and then they were taking fentanyl. This is where we live now. It's always somebody else's fault that we have moral failure. And it's time for us to say moral failure is our fault. It's my fault. It's my sin. And it's my responsibility. And, and people say, well, I don't know why they let that pastor keep pastoring. Who's they? Who's they? And here's who they is. They is the leadership of the churches that are to be watchmen on the wall that are stand and to speak the truth regardless of what it costs them. Regardless. And the reality is, every time I press into this issue, guess what I get to be? Judged. Judged. But I have to accept that if I'm judging. And that's what this Bible teaches. If you're going to be judging, be willing to be judged. Be willing to have the devils of hell come after you so that it can try to get you to shut up. Well, I'm not going to shut up. I'm not going to shut up. I'm not going to back down. I'm going to keep pressing into this because, the, because Jesus Christ died for sin. We don't need to hide it. We need to expose it so it can be forgiven so that people can be healed. Now look at Matthew 18, 18. Why are these strong public words important? See, Jesus had to come and he had to go after the public religious people of the day who were supposed to be representing him. And here's what he had to say. Truly, I say to you that whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. So principle number nine, it's up to us to make sure others are treated right. It's up to us to make sure that others are treated right. It's time to stop protecting 
the powerful in order to protect the reputation of the church. It's time to stop. And I just want you to understand that our process as a church, if, if there is someone that God has called me to confront, I confront them one-on-one. If this is another senior pastor, I confront them one-on-one privately. I confront them with other people involved. And then I ask that our elder board and their elder board would meet. And I just want you to understand that if we will practice these simple Matthew 18 principles, it will revolutionize the church. It will change the church. And I understand, and, and a lot of people go, well, Kelly, why, why, don't you, why don't you just stop focusing on this? And won't you stop paying so much attention to that? Won't you stop giving so much energy to that? I can't. God has asked me to do this. God has asked me to do this. God has asked me to step in the gap. And I'm not the only one, by the way. I'm not the only one, by the way. And listen, as, as leaders fall, That does not discredit Jesus. It proves, first of all, that what the Bible says is true, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can hide your sin if you choose to, but there is no grace for hidden sin. You go, well, do you enjoy it? No, no. We're not to take pleasure in someone else's sin. But at the same time, we're not to look the other way and ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist. God is purifying his church. God is purifying his church. And I just want to say publicly today that how I'm engaging other pastors publicly is how I want to be treated. I've answered that question. I've accepted that responsibility. There is a greater judgment on me because I stand on this stage. I have a greater responsibility than you do because I accepted this role and the Bible tells me that I incur a greater judgment. Anytime you step into a leadership role in a a youth position, volunteer, whether it's in students, whether it's in children, you are stepping into a greater responsibility of judgment. And you have to accept that. That's not easy. That's not easy. But I will tell you this. If we can get this part right, I believe that the revival that we pray for will be unleashed upon us. And I believe that that a harvest of souls can and will come to God's church because Jesus is just that good. May God give us the grace as we wrestle through all of these issues. And we'll continue to wrestle. But may we learn how to live by the rules he gives us. Amen? Hey, I know it's a hard sermon. That's a tough sermon. Thank you for staying with me on that. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.